about the decision that's, that's going to be coming from the Supreme Court and what's going on and how it's being received and how uh, people are fighting against this. It is a matter of life and death, and it's a very serious thing. If anybody would like to discuss it afterwards, I would be happy to do that. I do think it's a biblical topic, and I think uh, the sanctity of life is very important, uh, and it's important to God, and it's important to our nation. And I think that uh, there are serious consequences when you go against uh, what God says to do in circumstances like that. So it's something that we should all be praying about and we need to be convicted about and it's something that, uh, frankly, you know, people call us the, the silent majority sometimes, right? Because we're afraid to get involved in discussions like that. I don't want to talk politics. I just want to talk about life. And uh, I will say this. If that decision comes down as it is currently written, uh, it's my understanding, at least from the statistics that I've read, that up to 140,000 less abortions will happen in this country next year. That's a lot of people. Uh, so I will take anything that, that makes any measure away from killing the unborn. Uh, so I'm, I'm a very big uh, anti-abortion person, and I... I I think that that's a very uh, biblical stance to take, uh, but not what I'm going to talk about today. So, uh, but I did want to at least mention it. I think we should be uh, be praying about it this morning. I want to talk to us about four of the lies that Satan feeds to us. You know, if you read the New Testament, no matter how familiar those stories may be, no matter how many times you read the New Testament. You will always find more information in there. The Bible will reveal itself to you as you read it and as you take it into your heart and you allow the words of the Bible to be written on your heart. More and more will be revealed to you through that text. One of the things that's revealed to us in the text of the Bible is that there has been great violence against the message of the New Testament. There has been great violence against the message of Jesus. And there are so many examples of that. The first in the New Testament being John, who prepared the way for our Lord. He was a righteous man, and he preached the truth, and the truth got him into trouble with the king. The king eventually had him beheaded. We don't have to go any further to see that the message of Christ inspired violence against Christianity than Christ himself, right? He was reviled. He was attacked. He was spit on. He was hit. He was made fun of. He eventually was scourged and then endured one of the most painful deaths known to mankind on the, the death of the cross. We look at Peter and the other apostles. They were persecuted for saying the truth, not just made fun of, not just spit on, but they were beaten with rods, they were whipped, they were scourged, they were thrown into prison. And then when they were released, they went on their way rejoicing. We look at Stephen, a deacon in the early church. He was stoned to death for preaching 
the truth. Silas was in prison. Paul, we know, we know so much about Paul. He listed some of the things he had to endure, right? Shipwreck, beatings, being stoned, being attacked, having to sneak out of, of towns, beaten, left for dead. He caused riots, all because he spoke the truth. And as the New Testament comes to a close, you can see that the church is bracing itself for more persecution. That's what the book of Revelation is about, right? It's really about, look, Jesus wins in the end. We have victory in Christ. We have to stay true no matter what. We, we want to be peaceable with all people, but we have to preach the truth. We have to teach what's true to people. And that's not always going to be received well sometimes, People are going to be violent against us because we preach the truth. And yet, throughout all of that, the church grew. It multiplied to amazing numbers. Thousands were baptized. The nations were trying to figure out how to deal with this, these rebel Christians, right, who just want to follow the law and live peaceably, but want to follow Christ and the truth. And towards the end of the New Testament, we see that, yes, there's still going to be persecution, and Satan's still going to use that as one of his tools, but we also start to see a distinct change in the tactics that Satan uses. If you look at 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, Paul, at the end of his life, warns, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The Bible called it, right? That's what we see in this generation and in generations before, is they have itching ears, they want to hear some new thing, they don't want to adhere to the truth, they don't want that in their lives. And I think that our adversary, the devil, has been pretty successful in that message. Every lie in the Bible has one source, and that source is Satan. In John 8, 44, speaking to the Jews, Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil, and you wish to do the lusts of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has not stood in the truth because truth is not in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks out of his own things, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is just that. Jesus calls him for what he is. He is a liar. And as I talk about lies, I'm not talking about an out there problem. Certainly out there, People have bought into the lies. But I'm talking about an in-here problem. Inside the church, inside our hearts, not just yours, but inside mine. Sometimes we buy the lie, right? Lies that will keep us out of heaven. And I want to cover four of those lies. By no means the only lies that Satan has, but certainly four of the most powerful lies that he has told. And lie number one is that you do not have to choose, that you can have it all. 
I pass? Uh, I, went, I went ahead, sorry. You don't have to choose. You can have a rich spiritual life, but don't take it too seriously. After all, you also want all those worldly things as well. You want popularity and status. You want to people to like you. You want money. You want freedom. You want all the entertainment choices that you want to have. You want your nights and your weekends free to do what you want to do. And you, you can have it, right? You can have it all. You don't have to choose. I'm reminded of Elijah in 1 Kings 18.21 where he puts it to them. He says, he came to the people and says, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. They said, we like sitting on the fence. We don't want to have to choose one side or other. One side might win. And then we'd be stuck on the wrong side of that fence, right? There's an Irish uh, proverb that says, if you want to accomplish something, throw your hat over the fence. In other words, if, if you want to accomplish something that's over there on the other side of that fence and it's tough to get over the fence, throw your hat over there, then you have to go get your hat or get a new hat, I guess. But that's the idea is you can't be a fence sitter. You can't be on both sides. You have to choose. And for more evidence of this, we don't need to look any further than Jesus, who said, something similar in Revelation 3, 15 and 16. He says, I know your works, that ye are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, never have liked that word, lukewarm, <laughs> you're neither cold nor hot. You're trying to be a fence sitter. You're trying to be in both places. I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's not acceptable to be partway, to have your toe in the water, Right? Now, who was that directed to? It was directed to the church, right? He was trying to say, look, I need a church that is all in, that is committed. You can't be both sides. You have to choose. It doesn't bother Satan for you to come to church on Sunday morning. It doesn't bother him. As long as you keep your Christianity within these doors... And you don't change your life and engage in it outside of these doors. He doesn't mind that you're here this morning. It's when we take the time to apply the things that we've learned. And to use our brothers and sisters for encouragement to go out there and face the world that has bought all of these lies. That's when Satan is upset. Because you have not bought into the lie that you don't have to choose. Line number two, which you've already seen, because I accidentally went too far on the screen, is you don't have to change. You can go on doing things just the way you're doing. You've changed enough. You've done enough. You can just rest on the things that you've accomplished. You look at someone that changed. I'm reminded of Paul, right? Paul went from being persecutor to persecuted. He went from being well-established and on the rise in the Jewish world to being an enemy of them. He righted his purpose 
And when he came up out of the waters of baptism, he set about his purpose. Did he ever sin again? Yeah. He still did. But he continued to improve and to work on it and to walk in the light as Christ is in the light. In Romans 7, 18 and 19, he talks about that struggle. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I would do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Paul said, look, I still sin. I know what's right, and sometimes I don't do it. And I know what's wrong, and sometimes I do it anyway. I think it's a powerful couple of verses. Sometimes we get uh, confused in reading that passage because the word do comes up so many times. That which I do, I don't do, do, you know. But the idea here is, look, sometimes I still sin. Sometimes there's stuff I'm supposed to do and I don't do it. Sometimes there's stuff I'm not supposed to do and I do it anyway. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying you have to change. You have to continue to work towards that which is in me, Christ. That's lie number two, is that you don't have to change, you do. You cannot be a fence-sitter, and you do have to change. Lie number three is that you can hide your sin. I like the little girl in the picture. She's not very good at hide-and-seek, right? I want to think about Acts chapter 5 here. Acts chapter 5, two liars die, right? You've just been introduced to Barnabas, who has sold a piece of land and given all the money to the church. And Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they saw that, and they thought, hey, everybody really likes Barnabas for doing that. We've got some land. Let's sell it. Hold back part of the money, but say that we gave it all so that people will be impressed with us too. Now, Look, it was okay for them to keep back some of the money. It was their land. They could have done whatever they wanted. They didn't even have to sell it and give the money to the church, to the apostles, but they did. They did sell it, and they gave this generous gift. The sin was in the lie. The sin was in their desire to be well-liked by everybody, right? And I want you to think, I want you to put yourself in the place of a church member in Acts chapter 5, as Ananias comes to church that day, and he gives this large sum of money, he lays it at the apostles' feet. How would you, what would you think if, if you were there and you saw this? If I had been there, and he gave all that money, I would have been impressed. I would have said, wow, this is a great thing that they have done. They have sold a piece of land and given all the money to the church to be used for other church members and for the poor and to help. This is a great thing. I'm inspired to to live even better, to do more, to be a better giver, to be a better church member based on what Ananias has done. I would have been uplifted. I would have been filled with thanksgiving and been excited about what could be accomplished with this money for the church. But they had concealed something that the church didn't know anything about, right? But there are no secrets from God. God knows. There's no thought or action that he's not aware of. And it cost Ananias his life. God killed him. 
for this lie. Now, you're a member of that church, and this has just happened. And Sapphira comes in, his wife. You ever wonder why they came in at different times? It almost seems like she's wanting to come in after they got this first wave of all these people thanking them and and being happy about this gift. And then she's going to come in a little bit later and get all of that again, right? Bask in the glow. But you're a church member, and this has just happened. Ananias has died because of this lie. He's been called out for it. And everybody in that building knew, right? And Sapphira comes in. What was she expecting? Well, she was expecting happy faces. She was expecting people to pat her on the back. But if you were that church member that's sitting there, I think you'd be thinking, I hope she picks up on what's happened. I hope she doesn't perpetrate this lie. I hope she sees when she comes in that nobody's happy and patting her on the back. Everybody is scared. Nobody's talking about it. It must have been an odd thing for her to walk in. And yet she still tells the lie. I've had this happen. I won't say names, but I've had this happen with somebody in my employment who was working for the church. And it was his job to to count some things and to wrap them and put them in boxes. And what we noticed is there wasn't very much progress being made on this project over time. He was supposed to be doing that for eight hours a day, and yet it never seemed to make any progress. So we put a camera over there, unbeknownst to him. And what we found is that when the manager went over there to look at the warehouse, well, he'd be busy working. The manager would leave, and as soon as he was sure that the car was gone from the manager... He would prop his feet up and read the Bible all day long. That's what he was doing. Isn't that odd? And then about 20 minutes before it was time for him to go, he would go get some boxes of stuff that had already been done and put it on the the pallet to make it look like it was done, to make it look like he had worked all day. Isn't that odd? When we confronted him about it, we said, hey, we've noticed that nothing's getting done. And we think that you are just sitting all day long and reading your Bible instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now, what do you think he said? You think he said, you're right, that's what I've been doing, and I'm so sorry, I apologize. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to repent. No, that's not what he said at all. He says, no, I would never do that. Right? Then we said the words, would it surprise you to learn that we have a camera over there? And his head fell because he knew that we had seen it. And he resigned and he walked away. People think that they can hide their sin. Right? And there's not always a camera that's going to catch you in not doing your work. But the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, right? Or Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. 
Look, I can do all this outwardly, and I'm fine, but I have my closet. I'm not in there praying, I'm in there sinning. I have my concealed sin. No one knows. No accountability. I can keep my status, my image, but God knows, right? Even if you're never caught in your sin, God always knows. And just like Ananias and Sapphira, someday everybody is going to know. In Ecclesiastes 12.14, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. Everything that you think that you have hidden, whether it's good or evil, will be known to everyone. You cannot hide your sin from God. He knows. And we all have sin. And yes, we should be ashamed of our sins, but we cannot hide them. We have to use each other to build each other up and realize that we are relying on the blood of Christ to cover our sins. We are not good enough to go to heaven. God has provided us a way out. He has paid the cost that our sins incurred. So that is the third lie that Satan wants you to buy. That you can hide your sins and nobody knows. The fourth lie is that the clock will keep on ticking. That there will always be tomorrow. I think it was Mark Twain that said, never put off to tomorrow what you can put off till the day after tomorrow. Right? Luke 16, 19, Jesus said that the rich man fared sumptuously every day. He had it good, right? He thought, hey, this is going to go on forever. I've got it good. Things are going well. I've got lots of food. I've got everything I need. He had nothing to shake him up in his life and convince him that he was lacking anything. But he was lacking the most important thing. He wanted to continue to eat, drink, and be merry all the day long. It dulled his senses, and he turned a blind eye to others who were in need. He lived selfishly. He lived only for himself. He never saw the need to turn away from sin. Why should I adjust? I have it good, right? He fell into the lie of Satan that I always have time to fix it. I'll always have tomorrow. And then he died. And the clock ran out. The game was over. He had to give an account for it right then. There is this consistency in our lives. You know, every Saturday is followed by a Sunday. Every June is followed by July. If you aren't careful, you can convince yourself that you will always have tomorrow. There's always another day. I can fix it tomorrow. I can change tomorrow. But sometime you won't. Sometime there won't be a tomorrow and you don't know when it is. It's not something that we like to think about, right? So why is that preacher bringing up all this unpleasant stuff on Mother's Day, right? It's because it's, it's such a desperate need that everybody has. And we do not want to fall into these lies of Satan. There is a day of accounting that will come, just as it did for the rich man 
in that story. In Matthew chapter 25, there's a parable about ten women. I'm convinced that all ten of those women wanted to go with the bridegroom and enjoy the wedding feast. That's what they were there to do. They were waiting. They didn't know when the bridegroom would come. This was It's a really interesting thing about Jewish weddings and the, the customs around those. It's very similar to Jesus coming back to get the bride, the church. That's that whole analogy that's going on. And there's these ten women who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. But he delays his coming. He hasn't come when they thought he would. Five of them were prepared for that. Five of them brought extra oil for their lamps. And five of them didn't. And the five who were unprepared, they say, hey, can we borrow some of your oil? And they said, no, you can't borrow. I mean, you know, we'd love to give you some, but then we wouldn't have enough. We came prepared. So they leave. And the bridegroom came when they were out trying to get more oil. They were called foolish. And they were shut out of the wedding feast. Now, I'm pretty sure that the five who were called foolish would still be here this morning, would be in church, right? But they had convinced themselves that he's coming, Jesus is coming, the bridegroom is coming, but he's not coming right now. They believed the lie, right? They believed that the clock wouldn't run out. And it did. And there were no excuses. So this morning, I just want to encourage you, don't believe a lie. Turn to the truth. It is an unpopular truth. But it is still the truth. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It's still the truth. That's the funny thing about the truth. It doesn't care whether you like that or not. It's still the truth. And there will be no excuses. The clock will not keep on ticking. You cannot hide your sin. You do have to change. And you do have to choose which side you are on or it will be chosen for you. We have to pick a side. Are we with Christ? Or are we with the father of lies, Satan. This morning, if you are subject to what we call the invitation, we are inviting you to accept the gift that God has given, the free gift of Jesus, his blood to cover your sins. It doesn't mean that we are all perfect and we are judging you. It means that we are covered by the blood of Christ. We have that covering for our sins. It doesn't mean that we'll never sin or you'll never sin again. It means that you are covered by the blood of Christ and you have your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you along the path. It's so very important to obey the gospel, to do what's necessary to get the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. We have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We have to confess His name before men. We have to repent 
of our sins, and we have to submit to baptism, immersion in water for the remission of our sins, not a cleansing of the flesh, but of a good conscience towards God. We're doing what he said for us to do. We're reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection so that, as Romans 6 points out, we can participate in it when Jesus comes back. If you have done those things but you have fallen away, we would encourage you to make it right. We usually say if it's a public sin, then you need to come forward, right? And that's true. If it's something you've done that has put you outside of Christ because of a public sin that is known, you need to make that right through confession of sin, repentance, and we'll pray with you and for you. But if it's a private sin and nobody knows, God knows. We need to make it right. If you need help and encouragement to do that, we would love to do that too. We are there. We understand. We will pray with you and for you and be there to encourage you and help build in some accountability for you and help you. That's what we want to do this morning. Make it known as we stand and as we sing.